0: through the teaching of God's Word. And now, with today's message,
1: here is our teacher. Moving on with our text in Daniel, we're going to read the rest of our text in Daniel chapter 10, and then make our way through this fascinating chapter. Daniel 10 is before us, and we start our time with verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. A man reports that one night he dreamed that an angel was talking with him. And in this dream, the angel spoke words of comfort to him all night long. But when he woke up, he was confused. This man was a Baptist pastor. He didn't really believe it was an angel, but his dream was clear. And so this left him a little confused. As he awoke and cast off the sleepiness, he noticed a little bit of a lump underneath his pillow. He reached under it to see what it was, and out he pulled a small stuffed angel bear that had fallen off of the headboard of his bed. Someone had given it to him years before. And when you press the paw on this little angel bear, it says to you, I am your guardian angel. I am your special friend. Every time he turned his head in his sleep, the angel bear spoke to him words of comfort. True story. Daniel had a little bit of a different experience. We left off with Daniel being comforted by an angelic messenger. Now remember the backdrop. Daniel is now about 84 years old, standing by the Tigris River over 20 miles away from the city of Babylon. Medo-Persia was now in charge. About 50,000 Jews had made their way back to Jerusalem to start work on rebuilding the temple. But the opposition from the people living in the land meant that the work had already stopped. And so here we find Daniel in chapter 10, praying, mourning, fasting over the state of his people. And this is when this vision, this is when this revelation of God came to him. Daniel alone saw this angelic being. And as we look to our passage, understand the significance of this text, because it has been said that no other passage in the entire Bible gives us as much insight into the spiritual battle that is taking place beyond what we can see. Let's get to our text, verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Do not fear, Daniel. Easier said than done. The details provided by Daniel in verses 5 and 6 paint a picture of a majestic being that reflects the very glory of God. Think back to verse 11, where we left off. Daniel was shaking, trembling. He fainted. But think of what Daniel learned. The angel told him from the first day that you set your heart to understand, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Daniel was fasting and praying for three full weeks, 21 days. Daniel was a man of prayer. Certainly, Daniel was a man of faith, greatly beloved by God. But after time, even for the men strongest in the faith, questions do come. Is God hearing my prayer? Will he answer? I've been there. You've been there. When we pray and pray and pray, and that little bit of doubt, that little bit of uncertainty, whether God is really listening to us, creeps in. Here is where my faith is made stronger. This verse gives us confidence to know that even when we pray and heaven is silent, God hears our prayers. The prayers of his people are heard at once. James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Daniel was told, I have come, Daniel, as an answer to your prayers. God has heard your plea. You know, it's been said many times that prayer delayed is not prayer denied. And on this occasion, the reason for the delay, it's found right here in verse 13. Take the first part of the verse. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. I want to walk you through how we determine the identity of this prince. First, note that he had some direct relation to the kingdom of Persia. Second, this prince must have been more than just a man to be able to resist an angel of God and to make it necessary for the archangel Michael to step in and help out. Third, this prince resisted the messenger sent by God. He was someone who opposed the very will of God, and therefore, the only conclusion you can make is that he belongs to the forces of darkness. A fallen angel, a demon, And there is one more nugget of information. Notice down in verse 20, the angel testified that he had to return to fight with the prince of Persia. And so just by deduction, just by a little bit of reasoning through this, we understand that whatever relationship this prince had with the kingdom of Persia, it must have been an ongoing relationship. The angel with Daniel would have to return and fight again. So here is what we know. Put it all together the prince of verse 13 is a demon probably of high rank assigned by the chief demon himself satan assigned to persia this demon was assigned to persia now let's talk about this here we have a demon opposing the will of god for persia in daniel 10 persia dominated the world now don't miss the teaching even though the jews were allowed to go back to jerusalem to rebuild the temple they were still under the control of persia verse 20 is going to tell us about a prince over greece and we know from the other visions in the book of daniel that we have studied the people of israel would be under the control of greece after after persia fell at the hands of alexander the great the idea seems to be here that satan actually puts forth certain demons to influence governments against the people of god Keep in mind the word for prince just means ruler and carries with it the idea of being in charge. So we know that in some way this angel of God was held up or withstood by this prince, this fallen angel. And then Daniel tells us, Behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now at this point, Michael shows up on the scene. Michael is mentioned five times in the Bible, three times in the Old Testament, two of which are in this chapter. And then Daniel mentions him again in chapter 12. We read of him again in Jude 9 and Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Jude 9, it tells us that Michael is an archangel. Archangel literally means chief angel, giving us the idea that there are different ranks among the angels of God and that Michael is one that is among the highest in rank which Daniel tells us right here in verse 13, that Michael is one of the chief princes. In Revelation chapter 12, the apostle John, he saw Michael leading the angelic armies against Satan and his demons. The name Michael, it means who is of God. And we learn from verse 21 and from chapter 12, that Michael was assigned to be the prince of Israel. Listen, think about this. God assigned one of his highest ranking angels to the people of Israel, again, demonstrating God's love and protection for his people, whether his people knew of it or not. With this spiritual battle that took place in verse 13, when Michael came to the aid to help this angel, the one speaking to Daniel, between the two of them, they were victorious. And so the idea with the last phrase of verse 13 is that once again, these angels were victorious. This one, this angel was now left to be the influence over the kings of Persia and not the demonic forces of Satan. And here is why this is significant. Here is why this was so critical for the Hebrew people. Notice with me at the end of the verse, it is not just the king, it is kings, plural. Now here is what I think this probably refers to. As an answer to Daniel's prayer, this angel was sent to battle the demon that had influence over Cyrus, king of Persia. And once this battle was won with the help of Michael, this angel now had the position of influence over Cyrus, who at this time was the king of Persia. But they would also have influence over the kings to come. Because remember, Persia would be on the scene for two more centuries before Alexander from Greece would defeat them. This spiritual battle was significant because it was for a position of influence over the king of Persia and therefore influence over the politics, over faith, religion. And it was the kings of Persia who would now be in control and ruling over the Jewish people. Verse 14. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days yet to come. The angel told Daniel he had come to give understanding of what would happen to the Hebrew people in the latter days. Latter days is an expression used often in the books of prophecy to refer to the future. Perhaps the best way to understand the meaning here is just to continue to study the rest of the book, because as we study chapter 11 and chapter 12, we'll see exactly what the latter days are. But for now, think of days after Daniel. Think of the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. And after a long period of time, think of the days of the coming Antichrist. This is God's future plan for his people. From Daniel's time all the way up to the time of the Antichrist. The second coming of Christ. And the establishment of the kingdom of Christ on earth. But again, don't miss the subtle teaching This vision is about the Hebrew people, what would happen to the Jews in the latter days. This is not about the church, and this is not about the Gentiles. This is God's plan for Israel. The end of vision refers to many days yet to come. And the idea seems to be that Daniel had been praying about what would happen in the near future for his people. And the Lord responded by telling Daniel what would happen way into the future. Once again, Daniel got a little more than he expected. So pick up our text with verse 15. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I've retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Now, verse 15 is just telling us that a renewed sense of weakness hit Daniel. He became speechless. He was overwhelmed because he had just learned about the demonic conflict that had delayed the answer to his prayer. Verse 16, it gains our attention because some see a reference to Christ again in this verse. I don't think it is. Probably still a reference to the angel. The Catholics translated this in the Latin Vulgate to say, the Son, clearly changing it to an absolute reference to Christ. But the majority of the manuscripts have it as the New King James puts it, one having the likeness of the sons of men, which is just a Hebrew way of saying one who looked like a human being. Back in verse 10, the context told us, that the first person who touched Daniel was an angel. It seems to be the same thing here in verse 16. But now this time, this strengthening is to give Daniel the ability to speak. Daniel refers to the angel repeatedly in these verses as, my Lord, just used here as a sign of respect. Kind of like addressing someone today as, sir. Don't take it as a reference to Christ in these final verses of the chapter. I believe we're still looking at the angel that we first met back in verses 5, 6, and 7. Now, this appearance of the angel completely overwhelmed him. And the reference in verse 16 to his sorrows, it actually carries with it the idea of intense pain. Daniel was overcome with stress and with pain. This is why in verse 17, Daniel asks, how can I do it? How can I go through this and even have the ability to talk and listen? We've said before Daniel was around eighty-four years old. He didn't have the physical strength to go through it; his breath had left him. The date was Thursday, December the twenty-first, eighteen ninety-nine. After cutting short a Kansas City crusade and returning home because of poor health, D.L. Moody told his family, "I'm not discouraged. I want to live as long as I am useful." But when my work is done, I want to be up and off. Well, the next day, Moody awakened after a restless night. And in careful, measured words, he said, Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. His son, Will, he came to the conclusion that his father was dreaming. Moody spoke. No, this is no dream, son. It's beautiful. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. When a man knows the end is near, only the important surfaces. The trivial is passed by. The unnecessary is forgotten. Only that which is vital remains. Daniel was in the closing chapters of his life. His youth had left him. His strength had left him. Daniel needed angelic help to be up to this final act in the closing years of his life. All that he could speak of in verse 16 was his weakness. And the text records for us in verse 18 that because of this need that Daniel later testified, then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. This is the third time that Daniel was touched by an angel. We don't know if Daniel encountered one angel or if there are several represented here in Daniel 10. The first time Daniel was touched was to enable him to get up off the ground. The second time was to help him to speak, and this third time was to give him strength. Now, Luke 22 informs us that the angels have the ability to strengthen men. In Luke 22, Christ was in the garden, about to go to the cross, and the text in Luke tells us that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. It was the human nature of Christ that needed strengthening. Daniel, greatly beloved. Then look at the text. Fear not, peace be to you. And notice the command, be strong, yes, be strong. And notice the end of the verse. At the same time, the angel commanded Daniel to be strong. Daniel was being strengthened. Daniel was now ready and able to receive the revelation of God. Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And the angel responds, starting in verse 20. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these, except Michael, your prince. The question from the angel was a rhetorical question. He wasn't looking for an answer. He was trying to get Daniel to understand that there was a reason for coming. Daniel would be given one of the most detailed prophecies of all of Scripture, written down for Israel and written down for us. And now I must return. After he gave Daniel the information that is written down in chapters 11 and 12, the angel would return to fight again with the prince of Persia. Remember this angel, along with Michael, they had already won the battle, but the demonic forces never quit. They would try again to have a place of influence with the Persian kings. This angel was needed to battle to resist these attempts by the forces of Satan. After speaking with Daniel, he would go back to maintain his role, influencing the Persian kings. And that is what he says in verse 20, where the text reads, And when I have gone forth, it means going forth to combat, going forth to fight. Indeed, he says at the end of verse 20, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. This is another demon. Here's the basic idea of what's going on in the text this angel would protect the kings of Persia who were ruling over the Jews from demonic influence. After Persia was no longer the ruling nation, Greece would come on the scene ruling over the Hebrew people. And with it, just like there was with Persia, there would be a demonic influence over the Greek empire that this angel would have to do battle with. So this angel then would be contending for the influence of the Persian kings from 536 B.C. Until 331 BC, when Alexander the Great had his final and decisive victory over Persia, and thereby bringing the Jews under the rule of Greece. At that time, this angel would move to battle the prince or demon over Greece. Now, there's a lesson for us here. It's been correctly said over the years that if two angels in heaven were given assignments by God at the same time, one of them to go and rule over the greatest nation on the earth, and the other to go sweep the streets of the dirtiest village. Each angel would be completely indifferent as to which one got which assignment. It simply would not matter to them. Why? Because their joy, their fulfillment, comes in being obedient to God. I think we see that here in Daniel 10. And so it should be for us. The important thing should not be what God has us doing. The important thing is that we are doing what God wants us to do. Verse 21, the angel speaking. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Scripture of truth, writing of truth. It actually doesn't refer to just the Bible. It refers to the divine decrees of God. God has a future plan for everything. And the angel came to tell Daniel some of the truth of the divine decrees of God regarding their relationship to the kingdoms of the world. Daniel could trust these words. The message he was receiving was God's truth. The angel was letting Daniel know that God is in control. The next words of verse 21 and of verse 1 in the next chapter are parenthetical. God had a plan for the nation of Israel, and we see some of it unfolding even today, over 2,500 years later. And to give us some further assurance of this, all that was needed to battle the forces of Satan— in regard to Persia, and then later on Greece, all that was needed to protect these kings from the influence of Satan's demons was this one angel who could, of course, call on Michael at any time for help. Notice what we learn at the end of verse 21. Michael, your prince. Michael protects the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. Jot down chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to that text. At that time, Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Michael serves and protects Israel. He is the guardian of Israel. As we look at these verses, we're left wanting to know more, and we don't have all the answers of how the angels protect Israel. But the focus here is on the angelic protection of Israel during the reign of medo Persia and the Greek kingdom that would come on the scene. We are reminded that during the reign of Medo-Persia, Israel was allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, given the freedom to worship again. And when Greece came onto the pages of history, Alexander the Great left Jerusalem intact, bypassing it as he took over the world. God protects his people. Our last verse, in verse 1 of chapter 11, it reads, Also in the first year of Darius the Mede. I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Verse 1 really belongs with chapter 10. The angel is still speaking here in regard to his relationship with Darius. And he is referring here to a past incident that happened back in the first year of Darius the Mede. Remember now, there are two main theories about Darius. Some believe this is the same person as Cyrus, meaning just another name for Cyrus. I tend to think that Cyrus was the king over Medo-Persia and Darius was probably appointed by Cyrus to rule over the old Babylonian empire. Darius was the one that was just in charge over the Babylonian empire. What's taking place with this angel in chapters 10 and 11 is taking place in the third year of Darius and the third year of Cyrus. The angel was talking about something that happened in the first year of the reign of Darius. Now, two years before this are roughly the time of the events of chapter 9. And so the idea here is that two years before this, this angel had gone to help Darius. He had gone to confirm and strengthen him, or in other words, to support and help him. Now, let's think of why this would be significant. Chapter 6 of Daniel is not just some childhood story about Daniel in a lion's den. It's meant to show us in the first year of Darius, same time frame, as the reference in Daniel 11.1, that there was an effort to make Darius hostile toward the nation of Israel. But what happened? Well, God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel 6.22. And then Darius the Meadi wrote the decree, telling the people to honor the God of the Hebrew people. This was also the time that the Lord moved King Cyrus to allow the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple in our last study we looked at this in second chronicles chapter 36 but now i would like to have us read from ezra chapter 1 let's turn there and read these words before we close ezra 1 starting with verse 1 now in the first year of cyrus king of persia that the word of the lord by the mouth of jeremiah might be fulfilled the lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin And the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things. Besides all that was willingly offered, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem, and put in the temple of his gods. The timing fits perfectly with Daniel 11.1. And we know that Satan, we know that the demons would not want Israel to rebuild the temple of God. They would have tried to stop the people of God from returning to their land. Because through the nation of Israel, the Messiah, God the Son, would come. The Lord moved this unbelieving Gentile king to allow the people to return, to rebuild the temple, and even to give back the very things that belonged in the temple made of silver and gold. There was a battle raging, and that is what this angel tells us back in Daniel 11. This angel of God stood up to confirm and strengthen Darius, the ruler at that time over the people of God. And the purpose in verse 1 of Daniel for including this information that this angel had stood up before for the people of God was to let Daniel know that his direct intervention, the intervention of this angel on behalf of the Hebrew people, already had a direct impact on the future of Israel. And it would happen again the battle taking place in the heavens would continue. This angel would continue in order that the plan, the program of God for Israel, would be completed. Men would arise in the coming years seeking to wipe the Jews off of the face of the earth, Haman, Antiochus, and eventually the Antichrist. But God's angels stood ready to protect the people of God. And with all that is going on, in this world with the push to become a one world order a global rule with the people of promise back in the land of israel it leaves us knowing that behind the scenes the battle for this world and the souls of men it continues to rage the story comes to us from the time when the train the british express raced through the night with its powerful headlamp spearing through the blackness ahead the train was carrying Queen Victoria. Well, suddenly the engineer is said to have seen a startling sight. Revealed in the beam of the engine's headlights was a weird figure in a black cloak, standing in the middle of the tracks and waving its arms. Well, the engineer grabbed for the brakes and brought the train to a grinding halt. The engineer and the other men on the train climbed out to see what had stopped them, but they could find no trace of the strange figure. On a hunch, He walked a few yards further up the tracks. Suddenly, he stopped and stared into the fog in complete disbelief. The bridge had been washed out in the middle and had toppled into a stream. If the engineer would not have stopped because of the figure he saw, the train would have plunged into the stream. While the bridge and the tracks were being repaired, the crew made a more intensive search for the strange flagman. But it was not until they got to London that they solved the mystery. At the base of the engine's headlamp, the engineer discovered a huge, dead moth. Now he looked at it a moment, and then just on impulse, he wet its wing, and he kind of pasted it to the glass of the lamp. Climbing back into his cab, he switched on the lamp and saw that flagman again in the beam. He knew the answer now. The moth! had flown into the beam seconds before the train was due to reach the bridge that had been washed out. In the fog, it appeared to be a phantom figure waving its arms. It is said that when Queen Victoria was told of the strange events that she said, and I quote, I am sure it was no accident. It was God's way of protecting us. It was not an angel that the engineer had seen in the beam of the headlight. And yet, it points directly to the protection of God. One way or another, that moth ended up on the headlamp exactly when and where it was needed. A part of God's protection is found in the ministry of angels. Psalm 91.11 teaches, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. A.C. Gabeline. If you've never heard the name, you're missing out on some treasures. A.C. Gableine was one of the great theologians of the 20th century. He wrote the following, Like every truth, the truth of the angels of God, their presence on earth, and their loving ministries has practical value. Listen to this, as we realize in faith that they are watching us, ready to walk with us as we walk with him in his ways. Ready to serve us as we serve Him, ready to shield us and help us in a hundred different ways. A solemn feeling will come into our lives. Thus, this truth will assist us in a holy life. Here is why this should help us God could override all the power of the forces of hell in a simple spoken word, if He chose to. But He is allowing the fallen angels for a time some ability to obstruct, to rebel against him. Much the same as he has allowed man to oppose him. Job teaches us that Satan is never allowed to go beyond the due limit set by God. God will not allow a believer to be tested beyond his limit. That is the promise of 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. And so be encouraged to know that angels are working to fulfill the plan of God. Angels are working to protect and defend the saints of God from the attacks of the evil one. But here is where we need to remember that the powers of Satan and the powers of the fallen angels, they do not compare to the strength and might of God himself. Christ is the light that came into the darkness. He will not. He cannot be overcome by darkness. He is the eternal light of men. So plant firmly in your mind the understanding that no matter how strong the demonic activity may be, we fear not because our trust is in the one who has overcome the world. Could you recommend a book on church history, the end times, the gospel, commentaries, or a book on how to study the Bible? We get asked this a lot, and so I thought it would be helpful to have an Amazon store with a list of books that have helped me in my own faith. Actually, we opened two, one for Amazon Kindle and one for good old-fashioned hardcover and softcover books. We're adding books every week, and if you buy them through either one of our Amazon stores, we get a little bit to help us keep the lights on and pay the bills. Just visit our webpage, returntotheword.com, hit the Books tab, And under the menu, both our Amazon store and our Amazon Kindle store will show up. We appreciate your support. You can find out more on returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed
0: to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687.